Hi, I'm Tom Power. Welcome to Toy Heart, a podcast about bluegrass. This is the last episode of season two here from Nashville is my conversation with Allison Krauss. I remember, you know, the first time I looked out in the audience and saw people singing words to our songs that only we had recorded. That was just a really crazy moment. Just never thought it would end up being there. Never thought we'd hear back from Rounder. Yeah. Never thought we would hear from Rounder in the first place. If this is your first time listening, you can hear full interviews with Jerry Douglas, Allison Brown, Bela Fleck, Larry Sparks, Jody Stecker, and so many more wherever you get your podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Later on. Welcome to Basic Folk, where we have honest conversations with folk musicians on the Bluegrass Situation Podcast Network. I'm Cindy House, and I'm the host of this podcast. Today, I am very excited to welcome our dear friend, Dinty Child, back to Basic Folk. Dinty has a new album that is out now. Before we get to it, let's talk about some business. Please sign up for the Basic Folk podcast newsletter if you haven't yet there is a link in the show notes or you can check out basicfolk.com we are also listener supported you can make a contribution at the website there's also a link in the show notes there as well or you can follow us on social media we're on facebook instagram and tiktok at basic folk pod see you there dinty child Founding member of Session Americana, the beloved Boston Roots Music Collective, who've accidentally been a band for 20 years, Dinty has just released his second solo album, Letting the Lions In. The new songs feature co-writing on all tracks between Dinty and Boston-area songwriters like Margarelli, Chris Delmhorst, and Dave Godowski. A self-proclaimed slow writer, the majority of these songs were written on the annual Sub Rosa songwriting retreat Dinty runs on Three Mile Island. No, not that Three Mile Island. It's actually on Lake Winnipesaukee in New Hampshire and owned by the Appalachian Mountain Club. Dinty's family has been working at the island for over a hundred years. Dinty currently serves as the off-season manager, putting his musician and carpenter skills to good use, hosting songwriter friends at said retreat like Rose Cousins, Rose Polanzani, Rachel Price, Miss Tess, and many more, as well as an annual music camp run by Kristen Andreessen, Laura Cortese, and Dinty Child called Miles of Music. Letting the Lions In was co-produced by Zachariah Hickman, who's worked with Josh Ritter and Ray LaMontagne, and it was recorded at Great North Sound in Parsonsfield, Maine, over the course of three days in the spring of 2021. Dinty says, I often trade construction work for studio time there. During our conversation, we dig into why these songs needed to be recorded. Our consensus is that legacy and spreading joy to his community are the top two reasons. Also, Dinty, who says an annoyingly large percentage of his songs start as dreams, talk about what kind of sleeper he is. What's with the lion and his thoughts on drinking thanks to the handful of alcohol songs on the new album? Dinty is a dear friend to the podcast and an important part of the New England musical landscape, and we're thrilled to have him on the show. We'll take a listen to clips from the new record, Letting the Lions In, during our conversation with Dinty Child on Basic Folk. 
Dinty, thanks for coming back on Basic Folk. Hey, Cindy. <laughs> okay, um, I'm excited to talk about this record. I've got a couple questions before we get into it. Okay, sure so thing. So you grew up in the like uh, Boston area in Sudbury with much older sisters. Um, yep. And it sounds like your sisters like really loved you and fawned over you and held you all the time when you were a baby. <laughs> and like I feel like that results in you thinking everyone loves you and thinks you're wonderful. So you are also the glue that holds a lot of the Boston Roots community together. How do you think that, quote, everyone loves me and thinks I'm wonderful translates <laughs> to your position in the scene there? Uh, I mean, I don't know that I'm the glue. I'm, 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 I'm a, I'm a factor. I'm a glue factor for sure. I guess <laughs> partly, partly is that I have been around there so long that I know a lot of people and I've seen a lot of people come and go and stay in touch and stuff. Um, I guess what I would say and I mean, I think this goes to a lot of things, not just Boston, but other things, Miles and Music, which you know about other stuff, um, is just that I assume that people want to be friends and people are cool and people are good to get to know and people should know each other. And I, I mean, that's a big thing, right? That it's like I'm always kind of sort of, oh, you should meet this person and that person does this thing that you would like and you guys would be great together and all that kind of stuff. So there's a, there's a whole lot of that. And I think that comes from not really questioning motivations or, or subtexts and stuff like that. And it would probably benefit me in some ways to do that some more. I might be a little overly trusting in general, but um, for the most part, I think it's served me pretty well. Mm -hmm. You are a carpenter, contractor, handyman, house fixer-upper, this old was, house type of guy. Was. Was. Yeah, yes. Yes. Am, I suppose, but yeah. How did you come into that work, and how has it enhanced your life as a musician? <laughs> well, I spent a bunch of time. My dad um, loved to build stuff. He was not a builder. He was a... He, he was a more of a white collar guy, but he just loved to build stuff. So as a kid, I spent a lot and I was the, the only son and I was way younger than my sisters. So I spent a lot of time on the dumb end of a table saw um, as a kid. And, um, and he loved nothing more than doing projects on the weekend. So I just got very accustomed to doing that kind of stuff. And it was I was good at it, whatever particular visual kinds of skills and reasoning things. It just meant I was good at it. So I started doing some of that work uh, summers through high school and, and after high school, college and stuff like that. And I was not a, a let's see, a motivated student, I would say. <laughs> um, so I ended up, uh, I had a, a girlfriend, now my wife, who lived uh, down on the coast of Massachusetts and uh, another friend, musician friend who lived there. And he said, why don't you just stay here and work next semester? And I was like, okay, that sounded pretty good. So I did a lot of that back and forth for a number of years, <clears throat> two or three years. And then 
just one thing led to another that that job sort of finished and then somebody asked me to do something and then somebody asked me to do something else and somebody asked me to do something bigger and then I needed more help so I knew a bunch of musicians who needed work so I got them to help me with it and it just kind of went on that way so it was always something I could do to earn money I was always a um on on uh, when a, a reluctant businessman, let's put it that way. But uh, I was good at it, and people liked me to do it, and I could always play music. So mm. there you go. It was it was something that was flexible, earned good money, and I could always be a musician, and that's what I did for decades. You're someone who has just so much fun on stage. It's such a joy to watch you. What were your early experiences of performing like, and how has your relationship to performing evolved? Um, maybe because of this growing up with older sisters thing who always thought I was funny and entertaining and stuff, it made... I have never in my life had stage fright or anything like that. I've never worried about judgment. Um, anytime I'm on stage, it's just like, hey, gang, let's let's have fun. And that is whether there's 10 people in the room or 20,000. Um, I just still have always had that attitude. And so I'm just enjoying myself. I love the music and I love playing and I love bringing people into that. Um, I, I know a long, long time ago, um, my girlfriend, my wife, uh, said something about the, the ego involved in performing. And, and I had to, it made me think, it made me stop and think. And you can't be on stage like that and not have some ego, I think, and not say, I can do this. I can, I can make this happen. I can do, I can do something good here. But for me, so much about it is creating a group experience. And I'd say that's that's really it. It's just I'm looking for that kind of tribal release, whether it's um whether it's sad or emotional or more often than not just really fun and whatever. So hmm. I think that's my that's my deal. <laughs> Let's talk about the island for a bit. Three Mile <laughs> Island on Lake Winnipesaukee yep. in New Hampshire, run by the yep. Appalachian Mountain Club. Is it okay to say Appalachian if you're in the north? I, I guess. I don't know. They always say Lachin. Appalachian. Uh, whatever you'd like. Um, it's an island where families vacation, and your family has been working at the island for over 100 years. Mm -hmm. You have hosted a songwriting retreat and a music camp for over 10 years and you say it's a thing I do but it doesn't define me and then you said well it defines me in a deep way and I don't even <laughs> think about it I want you to go into that a little bit like how do you feel that connection to the island in your daily life did, did I actually say that yes wow um so well I mean you know I think if you've been involved with the place since you were a very young kid I mean there's there's a lot of people who have that, right? It's like might be the place on the ocean where they went or the 
I don't know, whatever. So this happened to be a place that my family was involved when my grandfather and then it's where my parents met and then my sisters worked there and I worked there. They, they have a, so you, you go, you typically go for like a week in the summer. And then when you get to be 18, in my case, younger, 15 or so, you, you might work there for a summer. And so you're there with 20 other kids your age and it's amazing. And you get to know all these kids who maybe didn't go the same time that you did, but it all means just as much to them. And these people stay your friends. And so I don't know, it's just always been a part of my life. And then as I got older, um, I, I got more involved in the committees that help run it. And now I'm the off-season manager, which means that I'm, I'm helping keep, keep the whole facility, um, you know, helping to get work done and all that kind of stuff. It's a lot more emails and phone calls than kind of being in this place, but I love being in the place too. And, um, so it's just sort of there all the time. And I, Mm. you know, we still go in the summer and now my grandkids go and, and I can see it happening. Are they old enough to go? You got to be four. Yeah, you got to be four. The young, the younger one will be old enough this year, but I can just see it taking place in them too. Now, you know, it takes place and that's, um, you know, that's the whole summer thing, but now we've started Miles of Music. I don't know if that's a, a different question or whatever, but um, through, because I'm the off-season manager, I've been able to bring musicians there and get these programs going and see the ripple effects of that mm-hmm. as well. And it's not just about the music, but it's for people who come, it's also, it's still about the island and about being on this place and you shut your cell phone off and you're, there's no cars or anything like that. You just can sit on a rock and watch the water if you want to. I don't know. Is there more you need to know there? I'm not really sure. No, that was good. Yeah. All right. Okay, cool. The island was was once Abenaki territory, and I know that Mm -hmm. the music camp takes some measures, but can you talk about the way that management works to keep that connection alive? I mean, I don't know that we can, you know... Uh, how can I answer this? I, I I don't think we do. I mean, keep that connection. I mean, it's it's an interesting idea to think about that. To say, could we somehow reach out to the Abenaki tribe and see if there's a way to? I don't know. I mean, the the Appala- Appalachian Mountain Club owns it, and they own a lot of facilities, and they they they're all over the place and a lot of their stuff is in i imagine abenaki territory so how do you how do you go back i mean that's that's a question i mean we're there's a lot of lot to wrestle with there right i mean it's yeah. like it's like it's been a long time since it was abenaki territory but it probably should still be hmm. um and i i don't know how i don't know how you go back i mean what i would say is that we very consciously try to make being there about uh, being in nature and and appreciating it and being off the grid and being 
you know, just just appreciating what the place is and what what it does for people mm. um, culturally and societal societally. It'd be very interesting to to really think about that. And that's the thing we've we've got one of our uh, governing meetings coming up next Saturday. Maybe I'll bring that up. I feel like going to the island right now. You want to go? <laughs> can't get there. Damn. <laughs> but, <laughs> okay, we, what is it? Is you probably can't walk across the ice quite yet, can you? Yes. Yeah. Not yet. Okay. It's it's a thing. It's a it's a new phenomenon. Not being able to get there in the winter very much. Uh, all right. Darn. Okay. Letting the Lions In is the new album produced by yourself and Zachariah Hickman. Correct. You've played in Session Americana for 20 years, and there are five other songwriters in that band. Mm -hmm. And you say, even though I'm not a prolific writer, the songs tend to pile up, and I occasionally need to put a record out under my own name just so they exist. Okay. Um, why is it important that these songs exist, that they're out there? Jeez, you write, you write songs and you think they're pretty good and people, other people seem to think they're pretty good. And uh, well, and my grandsons know all my songs and they know every word to all my songs. Mm. And that alone is pretty, is pretty great, right? And, and um, yeah, I just, I, 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 if people want to hear them, I want them to hear them. You know, you know, you know what? It, it, it part of it goes back. the The first record I made um, under my own name, uh, "Lucky Ones." I, I remember I, I had so I had a, a bunch of songs piling up, and I had done a bunch of carpentry work for Sam Kassir, who owns um, Great North Sound in Maine, great mm -hmm. studio. And I remember um, Zach Hickman plays bass with Josh Ritter. Dietrich Strauss, a good friend of both of ours, and mm -hmm. I were standing in the audience um, at the Josh Ritter show in Boston, the House of Blues, packed audience, and everybody around me was just singing along with all the songs, like all the words, just singing along, top of their lungs, happy as could be. And I remember thinking, this doesn't happen if they don't know the songs. If the songs, if they don't have a way to hear the songs, this doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. And so, so we went in the studio, we recorded a pile of stuff. I didn't know if it was going to be a record. I didn't know what was going to happen. Um, but it turned into a record. And, um, and so that's just sort of the way it goes. And it, and it's happened, you know, and it keeps happening after that. And now I guess there was, there's another addendum to that is session Americano is playing. We were playing one of my songs called it's not Texas at a fairly big, venue and um i started singing it and i just heard this like ripple go through the audience i'm like oh, like a kind of like oh i love this song love this song <laughs> again it doesn't happen if they don't know the song if they don't get to hear it and 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 internalize it so that to me right there is is a reason to um mm. to record and you know getting it in front of people, getting it, there's so much for people to listen to, who knows, you know, but at least I can say that it exists. My grandkids know it and uh, some other people do too, you know? Yeah. Sounds like community joy and legacy. Too I important. guess so. Yeah. Too there you go. Thank, yeah. Thanks, Cindy. Welcome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
All the songs on this record are co-writes, which is unusual for you, including yep. songs with Mark Arelli, Chris Delmhorst, Dave Godowski. Dinty, what are you like as a co-writer? <laughs> well, so I'm a very unmotivated songwriter on my own. Um, I really will do almost anything to avoid. I, it would just never occur to me to, oh, I should go work on a song now. It just doesn't happen that way. Um, it's like I got to wash the dishes. Oh, the, the basement stairs need dusting. I don't know, whatever. But <laughs> um, but when you make the time, well, but I get ideas, all right? I get little seeds of things that might be in a notebook or they might be on my phone or um, I, I've said this before. I, 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 it's not uncommon for me to dream, <clears throat> dream bits of songs, a chorus, a melody, something like that. And um, so, especially when we have this yearly songwriting retreat with all of the people you just mentioned and, and more um, up on the Island, uh, I might be going through and I'll find an idea. And, uh, and in that instance, you, you got like, Oh, this song feels like it needs to be kind of emotional somehow, or it's leading in that direction. Hey, I've got Rose cousins right here who is the premier expert in that kind of <laughs> uh, feeling. So, you know, I'm just going to see what happens if she and I, sit down together and come up with something. And it just goes like that where it's a lot more, it's a lot more fun for me if uh, I've got somebody to do it with. And, and it can take many forms. It it can be, I mean, you ask what it, what it, what I'm like as a co-writer. Well, it might be that there's, um, you know, I have more of a song and, but I think Mark is the person to help me with it, or he might have more of a song and I can help fill in the lyrics or whatever. And there's a lot of songs where we just, again, you know, there's one little seed of an idea and we just bounce back and forth um, until we find something. And it really happened with Mark, which might be sort of indicative of, of this whole thing is um, I was on the island one time and um, I was sweeping the dock and you know the dock and it's uh it's on this beautiful lake and there's there's the white mountains in the distance and it's gorgeous and all that stuff but i'm i'm sweeping i got my head down i'm probably sweating and somebody walked by and said how you doing and i said well i feel like the janitor of the sistine chapel where i'm just kind of cleaning up but i gotta stop and remember to look up every once in a while so mark said you want to write a song i said yeah let's write a song about the janitor at the sistine chapel called look up and we took a day and we wrote the song, which both of us would still say is um, one of our, in both of our lives, like one of our, one of the magic songs we've ever been involved with. It just turned into something that was much more than either of us thought it could be going into it. And so that was incentive enough to just, kind of keep doing this and we do keep doing it so mm. can i get a witness have mercy on my soul i feel my burden slipped in 
right. I want to go through the album and ask you questions about the songs. Uh, sure thing. So let's start with Witness. Um, so you wrote a track by track, and I'll quote you from time to time from, from this write-up. You said, the sentiment that songwriters and storytellers and performers have been necessary since the, the beginning of time, but also they need folks to sing, tell, perform for and with. That's a really powerful one to me. How does the act of being a musician and being a songwriter feel ancient to you? Oh, I think I said it earlier. It's like tribal, you know, I mean, that's, and that's a reason that song is important to me. That song in particular was, um, it was more a Mark song that I, I helped finish or helped help write. Um, it would it had been his idea, but because music is so primal and necessary and, and so has been through around in civilization forever and the storytelling and sitting by the fire and, and just all of that. But it's, it's that, it's that gathering, it's that tribal thing. Or, or, I mean, it might be that, that the storyteller, you know, is, is telling some ancient story and, but it still is riveting to the people hearing it. Um, and, and maybe they, they get something out of it, or maybe they can relate or they can learn something about themselves that they didn't know before. There's just so many, so many things. It's such a deep thing that's ingrained in us and humans, mm. I think, um, you know, standing, uh, on the, on the, you know, in a stadium listening to Taylor Swift or, or whatever, you know, in ancient times that wasn't going to happen, but have, I haven't done that myself, but, um, I, it seems like it's still just very much this tribal thing, which just goes to this like deep, just deep necessity and connection. Mm -hmm. That's really crucial to, to people's, um, sense of being human, I think. Mm -hmm. So, there you go. Question about dreams. Um, I have to set yeah. this one up. So, again and again, is a mm -hmm. song whose beginnings came from something you dreamed uh, that you were talking about earlier. That is something that you do for an annoyingly large percentage of the <laughs> songs you write. Yep. And the song that happens later on the album, "Wake Up and Go to Sleep," asks the question: Am I awake? asleep and dreaming both at the same time dinty a lot of a lot of dream talk what kind of <laughs> what kind of sleeper and dreamer are you uh i don't know that i'm a categorical sleeper and dreamer i just know that there are times 
in a dream where a song is involved somehow. I may be singing it. Somebody else may be singing it. In your dream. In my dream. In my dream. And um, might be a melody. There could be words involved. And I, I, it doesn't happen a lot, but I don't write a lot of songs either. Um, mm -hmm. And it seems to happen more if I've been playing a lot of music or I've been working on things kind of understandably because that stuff is in my head. But I have sort of learned at this point whether it's worth getting up to get the idea down or not. It's like, even in my dream, I can go, yeah, I'm not getting up for this one. But, <laughs> but sometimes I do. And more often than not, I've left the phone two floors down in the house and I've got to kind of pry myself out of bed and go down to find my phone and just kind of go. Uh, um, and I could, you know, find you examples of most of the songs on that record, like the very first barely decipherable things I mumble. And then I'll go back to bed and just go to sleep. And so. So that that happens. If any basic folk <laughs> listeners have an extra old iPhone they can give to Dinty so he can leave it by his bedside at all times, please no, feel free to email Dinty at DintyChild.com. <laughs> My wife would not appreciate me doing it in the middle of the night in the bedroom. But... <laughs> Listen, it's for the art. Oh, for the art. All right. Maybe she'll suffer for the art. I, no, I don't think so. But I could leave it in the other room. Are we the dreamer, the dreamer? question okay. is about lions yeah letting the lions in and almost yep. home there yep. are lion references in both songs letting the lions and it's throughout the song almost home you say they're talking about the lion hand what do you make of the lion metaphor in your work <laughs> uh there is no conscious lion metaphor in my work um letting the lion i'm i'm letting the lions in was a line that susan catania had um she's who i wrote that song with and it just kind of went from there you know that that's that's what happens with me a lot is where there's you know i have a thing on my phone or in my notebook or whatever or in a co-write somebody will kind of come up with something and it's like well let's let's spin that out a little bit and see see what happens and 
so with that one, it's like, well, what's that about? And I just kind of went to imagine this crazy circus where everything's spinning out of control and they're letting the lions in and you're, and then that kind of becomes a metaphor for what life can be sometimes where it's just like, uh, things are crazy and it's going to get nuts. And, um, you know what, I'm just bring it on, bring it on. I'm ready. I'm ready for it. And that's sort of where that song went. Uh, and the lions in, in, uh, the lion hand, um, in almost home, I, I, again, I dreamed, um, a big chunk of, of that song, certainly the music and stuff. And I had the almost home, um, bit and stuff. And, and the, everybody's talking about, you know, in my voice memo, it's everybody's telling me, everybody's, you know, and, um, Chris Delmhorst was on, was there and she's a great person for hypnotic groove based <clears throat> songs that may or may not make a lot of sense. And I just, she just had me write down a whole big long list. I was just spewing out ideas and I think lion hand might, it might be a thing I wrote down. I don't know. So maybe Cindy, maybe it's in my subconscious somewhere. I, I don't really know. I don't really know. How do we get in there? I don't know. <laughs> Let's write a song together. Okay. All the days are getting colder. The white wine turns to red. They're closing up the windows, putting blankets on the bed. But the engine won't turn over. Something's wrong with my machine. The road is out before me as the red light turns to green. And I'm hell-bent. This is a question about alcohol. Okay. Okay. In the song, The Last One and yep. Hellbent, there yep. are references to drinking. Um, Hellbent, you has, you've got a great line. Well, the days are getting colder and the white wine turns to red. Yeah. As someone who's been playing music for most of your life in places where alcohol has been readily available, and I think you are still... Uh, you still will in, indulge, imbibe oh, sure. in a in a drink. I'm not um, against it. What's been your relationship like with drinking? Uh, that's interesting. Um, with that particular song, that that whole song just started with that one line. I had that line in my notebook, and we wrote that song from there. I like that line too. Um, but as far as alcohol in general goes, I've just never been a big drinker. So it does not, um, I love having a drink or two, maybe three if I spread them out, but I, um, I've, I've always been around people who could, who could drink what I consider a fair amount and just go to bed and then wake up and just go on as normal. If I do that, I, I'm, I'm wasted. I'm just like no good the next day yeah. at all. It's like a metabolism thing or something. And as a, re as a result, I've just never had a big incentive to um, overindulge, I guess, hmm. is, is what I'm saying. So I, I never have a problem just having a drink or two or whatever. 
um, I'm not going to keep. I'm not going to keep going. As a result, that means I do all the night driving in the band. I'm the responsible one and get collecting the money. They all. I'm loading the van by myself a lot of times because they're hanging out and chatting uh. and drinking. But so so that's it for me. But I certainly I do enjoy it, and I enjoy the social aspect of it too. I think I gotta quit, but uh, yeah, I yeah. So fill my glass, shut the door. story i don't know i think i've told i don't know if i've told you this story or not we were both at our friend and talented musician dietrich strauss's wedding mm-hmm. in um in the english countryside and it was like yes. end of the night and i had like had more than a few i wasn't like blitzed or anything but i was like my wife and i were like ready to leave and like all the Boston friends had played this great set and it was nighttime and everything was beautiful and Dietrich and Flora had just gotten married and I was like, let's keep partying to <laughs> my wife, uh, Elizabeth. And I went in the drink tent and I was like, yeah, let's go. And I started like grabbing things and then she drove back to the, we went to like the, the grocery store and we're like getting cookies and biscuits and candy and stuff. And then like we went back to our hotel and just ate the snacks and then it was like two or three days later, I looked at what I had grabbed from the drink tent, and it was a can of non-alcoholic beer and a bottle of sherry. <laughs> it's like the worst party ever. I don't know. Maybe if you're in the English countryside, it doesn't really matter. Right, right. Yeah. I, if I had pulled out that sherry, I would have been like, great. <laughs> so funny. I tried to drink the sherry too. I'm like, blah, this is like. <laughs> so so you didn't even end up drinking the stuff you pulled out? No. Oh, wow. All right. <laughs> I'm pretty sure Dietrich is probably listening and now he knows that story. I haven't ever told him that. So I'm happy I, for him to hear it in this medium. I think he'd be pretty happy to <laughs> picture you doing that too. Let's keep going with non alcoholic <laughs> beers. <laughs> Okay, the song feels like the first time you wrote yes. this with Marco Relli, and it kind of sounds like you were. Uh, Aeneas has at least one song like this where she's like, "Woe is me, I can't write a song." So it sounds like that was your dilemma. You were like, "There's so many songs, how come we have to write another one?" And then you guys started talking about how awesome it was to discover new music as a teenager and how exciting it is when you write a new song that seems to like connect with the audience. So how do you still relate to your teen self when it comes to music discovery, whether it's your music or, or someone else's? Yeah, that's exactly what that song was. You know, it's like, Hey, we write a song every year. What are we going to write about? I don't know. You got ideas? No, I don't got ideas. And then we just kind of, 
kept going from there. Um, I, I, I don't quite know how to answer this. It's, it's um, unfortunately, I don't know. I don't know. Unfortunately, I don't, I don't tend to listen to a lot of music and, um, but then but every once in live music, are you, are you hearing a lot of live music? I would be surprised if the answer is no. No, I, no, I do. And I, I get, uh, you know, I get, I get really psyched when I hear something. I mean, uh, oh, I went to see Maddie Cunningham last year and she was just, no, I get really excited at things for sure. I just don't tend to then follow up and listen that much at home. I, I mean, I, I just, I have just always been totally engrossed by music ever since I was a little kid of all, all, all kinds. And that's still in there for sure. I don't tend to seek it out as much as I did when I was a kid. Cause I mean, I think that's part of what happens when you're a kid, you, you sort of, and then high school and maybe college, you're sort of absorbing all this stuff. And then you just, maybe don't have as much time for it. You're working, you have kids or whatever. Um, so it still means a lot. And when I come upon something that really speaks to me, it really means a lot to me. I don't go, I don't tend to go searching it out that much, but. Hmm. Okay. Uh, one more question and then we're going to do the lightning round and you better oh answer my lightning round questions because last will time answer. you didn't. <laughs> come on. Are you sure I didn't? Yeah. I could swear I did in record time. All right, go ahead. Let's go. Because I'm ready to light the fuse and run. I'm going to light the fuse and run. I'm going to light the fuse and run. Gonna light the fuse and run. song Light the Fuse and L the song Little Things are both duets with Ali mm -hmm. McGurk and Annie Lynch, respectively. These are yes. duets about relationships. Mm -hmm. What goes through your mind in the studio when duetting with someone who's stepping in for your spouse, your partner? Like what <laughs> kinds of conversations or like are there any what kinds of conversations are had with your duet partner prior to the recording? Oh, um, those duets were not recorded at the same time. So uh, we didn't need to have the conversation. Um, and the songs I write are not, they're just, they're more imagined stories than mm -hmm. anything. Um, Little Things was a dream song. Uh, Light the Fuse came out of, Susan, uh, I wrote it with Susan Catania. Um, she had, again, the first line of, uh, you know how to set me off like I've been drinking Molotovs. And it, more alcohol. Yeah, more alcohol. <laughs> well, that's pretty serious alcohol. We, we, we just got talking about what it's like to be in relationships and relationships for a long time and how, yeah, there's minefields and you just, you really know how to get each other if you want to, but then you have to agree to 
sometimes that we don't want to do that anymore. So, so to me, that's what that song is about. It's not about, you know, my relationship specifically, although I'm sure there's a lot of elements in there. Um, cause I've lived and I've been married a long time and stuff like that. Um, so as far as your question about what conversations are had, I don't know. I, there are now three, three duets that I do with Annie Lynch that are, what is she, she, she calls herself the beleaguered girlfriend or the beleaguered <laughs> partner or something like that. Um, and, and, uh, so, um, <laughs> it's a series, really. It's a it's a series. It's an ongoing yeah. it's an ongoing series. There will most likely be more at some point, I imagine. Mm-hmm. And write about what you know, right? You know, <laughs> you, you got to draw it from real life. You've had a lot of experience. Um, I'm not I'm not one to write a lot of songs about. Here are my feelings. This is how I feel about this and that. But my feelings come out in other ways as I'm telling stories or my experience comes out as mm. in other ways as I'm telling stories, I guess. Little ways you never grow very much anymore. It's getting harder to ignore all the little ways you never grow. Baby, I'm holding on, but you're always letting go. Dinty Child, we better do this lightning round. It is Cambridge, Massachusetts related. You got it, man. You got it. All right. Go ahead. All of these questions are about Cambridge. Ooh, I like it. Where is the best cup of coffee? Uh, I don't drink coffee. I don't know. All right. Sorry. Strike one. Here here I am not answering your questions. (laughs) What is your favorite record store? Stereo Jackson, Somerville. What is the best walk? Or where is the best walk? Oh, along the Charles River. What is your favorite Harvard thing? My favorite Harvard thing. My favorite, oh, this is lightning round. This is lightning round. My favorite Harvard thing. My favorite Harvard thing is walking through Harvard Square late at night and just watch. And I have to walk through Harvard to get from my house into Harvard Square or Passim or any of the places I often go. And I love just taking in the whole vibe as I'm walking through of the students when they're off and not being Harvard students. Okay. What a beautiful answer. Well, it's true. All is forgiven. Okay, a couple okay. more. What is Makes your... up for the coffee thing. Right. Okay, go ahead. What is your favorite burger? My favorite burger? Um, currently, my favorite burger is actually the Passim burger, ah. um, which is, is weird because I have 10 shows. It's a good thing because I have 10 shows at Passim in a month, but it's not so giant that it, that it, it kills you, but it's really good. It's really, really good. So I'm going to say that's my favorite right now. All right, this is the last one, and it's a big one, and I am sorry in advance. What is the best live show you've ever seen in Cambridge? In Cambridge, the best live show I've ever seen in Cambridge. Oh, I know the best live show I've ever seen, but not in Cambridge. Um, best live show I've ever seen in Cambridge. Uh-huh. 
I, I'm freaking out. Um, best live show I've ever seen in Cambridge. Uh, probably, probably the Lizard Lounge. Probably, you know what I think it was? I think it might be um, Soul Coughing, the band Soul Coughing playing at the Plowin' Stars. What? Wow. They were friends, friends of Mark Sandman's, and they came and played there one time. And I think that might, unless, unless it was some of the members. Oh, my God. Now I'm worried. Might be some of the members. Well, as, oh, as long as Mike Doty was there. Uh, Doty was there, and Yuval, the drummer, was there. No. Uh, yes. Soul Coughing, actually, I can tell you this. It wasn't the Plowed Stars. It was downstairs at the Middle East playing the Mark Sandman um, uh, memorial concert after he died, which I was sort of emceeing, and they played, and that was one of the best shows i've ever there's been many there was oh my god the campbell brothers downstairs now it's now they're now flooding it's okay back. yeah never mind yeah ditchy child thank uh, you so much i'm sorry that was that was a lame answer i should have had a much see i could tell you not in cambridge but anyway go ahead what was your favorite show not in cambridge my my favorite show not in cambridge was last year was uh well it's a tie between tom waits at the orpheum in 1986 Seven or something. It was right after Frank's Wild Years came out, and last year at the new MGM in Boston was Feist, and um, it was literally. I've been telling people it's the best show I've ever been to. Wow! Did she have a band? Yeah. She did have a band, but it took about half the show for her to get to the band. Oh, that's she great. was in. She was in the middle of the audience for a long time. There, were, I could go on and on. It was it was remarkable, remarkable piece of art, and it was amazing. So. Dingy Child new album Letting the Lions In. Thanks oh for God, talking to me. Hope to, hope so I see stressful. you soon. Ah, <laughs> so great. This episode was produced by Anthony Cabrera. Our music composed by Alex Stanton. Basic focus on the Bluegrass Situation Podcast Network. You can listen to all of our episodes there, wherever you get podcasts. You can also check us out on the SiriusXM app by searching for Basic Folk, or you can go to our website, basicfolk.com. If you like this episode, you can share it with a friend, including someone who might be a really important part of your community, like a teacher that you had that you want to show how much you care. You can send him this episode, or her or them this episode, and it will reconnect you in ways you never dreamed. Your wildest dreams come true. Thanks for listening all the way to the end. I'll talk to you next time. Um, bye.